Hey, I'm Alan Lilienthal, and you're listening to Port of Entry, a podcast from KPBS and PRX about our transborder lives here where the U.S. and Mexico meet. So back in June, Port of Entry producer Kinsey Moreland met up with John Fanestor. Oh, Kinsey, I didn't recognize you. Nice to see you. Yeah, the last time I saw you, you were out chasing me around out here. Thank you for, thank you for coming out. I'm back here to chase you around. <laughs> Appreciate your being here. Thanks for, thanks for turning Long-time back. listeners yeah. of the show might recognize John's voice. He's the pastor behind Border Church, the outdoor service that meets up at the actual U.S.-Mexico border fence with members in both Tijuana and San Diego. Yeah, let me, uh, yeah, by all means, have at it. Let me dump uh, a few things off and then I'll... So yeah, picture people on each side of the international border. Between the two sides are one 12-foot fence and a taller secondary fence. But they're all listening to the same bilingual church service through a sound system set up on the Tijuana side. And the backdrop is Playas, this beautiful beach at the southwesternmost point of the U.S.-Mexico border. I'm here at Friendship Park. Beautiful Sunday afternoon. The breeze is blowing. And the beach on the U.S. side is almost entirely vacant. It's the only stretch of undeveloped coastline in Southern California has a beauty all of its own. We did an entire episode on the Binational Church a few years ago. You can go back and check it out on our feed sometime. Anyway, we're bringing back John today because the pandemic has really disrupted Border Church. Just like it's disrupted so many things in this strange new normal we're all navigating. So when the pandemic hit, Friendship Park, the spot that's inside Borderfield State Park where Border Church is held, was closed down alongside everything else in our society. Uh, U.S. Border Patrol had given us every reason to believe that when the pandemic uh, came to an end uh, or was winding down, that once again people would be able to enter Friendship Park, the historic binational meeting place, would be able to visit with loved ones through the border wall. See this little park? It isn't a normal park where people go to have a picnic or a casual stroll. This is the place along the U.S.-Mexico border where people separated by immigration status go to see each other in person, even if it's through a border fence. It's been an important meeting spot for binational families and friends for decades. And while sections of the park have been reopened, the part that's still closed is really the most important. It's called Friendship Circle, and it's the spot in between the two huge steel border fences. In pre-pandemic times, Border Patrol agents would open up a gate and let people walk into what's called Friendship Circle. In between those two fences, people on the U.S. side could see their friends and family in Mexico up close. They can even reach their fingers through tiny holes in the fence to touch each other in what's become known here as pinky kisses. Uh, as you can see, the California State Park and the surrounding area is open and people are arriving. Uh, I've met several families who are here today wishing to be able to visit with their loved ones in Mexico. Uh, U.S. Border Patrol has not opened the park. Federal property is still closed. John and lots of other folks who really care about Border Church and the park want Friendship Circle reopened ASAP. 
And after many failed attempts at talks with the San Diego sector of the U.S. Border Patrol to try to get them to do that, John and others eventually decided it was time for a good old-fashioned protest. I think most of you, otherwise I imagine you wouldn't be here, kind of get the larger purpose that we're fighting for. The message today is Open Friendship Park. So we're here to uh, march in silence and to represent the desire of people on both sides of the border to be able to meet at Friendship Park. Come on over here a little bit. We'll do a little bit of organizing and, and then we'll get ready to, uh, to march. The protest in June was also being held in part because the park has a big party to attend. On August 18th, 2021, Friendship Park officially turns 50. A little later, I'm hoping to go right across and shake hands with uh, the friends who are on the other side of the fence. And I hope there won't be a fence too long here. It was 50 years ago uh, in August of 1971 that First Lady Pat Nixon inaugurated the surrounding area as California State Park. And many of you have seen that video. I know all of you will enjoy the surfing, swimming, visiting our neighbors to the south. I'm going to come down here and go surfing one day. I've never done it yet, but I'm going to try it. <laughs> she asked her security detail to cut the barbed wire so she could greet the people in Mexico. This is a sitting first lady of the United States, right? A Republican sitting first lady of the United States. So, uh, and she said this is the first stage of International Friendship Park. I hope we'll do as well on our border, as on our side of the border, as they've done on theirs. I mean, this was the, the plan, right? The plan was clear, it was, it was, it was very uh, transparent. And our view is that this should be a binational park. And I know you're going to have many happy times here, especially after we do as well with our beach as our friends to the south have done, planting trees and flowers and making it an attractive beach land for all. And now, uh, symbolical of our friendship and relationship with our friends across the border, I would like to have you help me uh, in this symbolical planting of the Mexican myopram, which is the same tree that they have planted on their side of the border. After the break, in a special bonus episode of Port of Entry, producer Kinsey Moreland follows the protesters to the border fence. Then she talks to one longtime friend of Friendship Park whose personal connection to the place keeps him pushing for the locked gates of Friendship Circle to be reopened. No se vayan a ningún lado. Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can. All right? Thanks. And we're back. Here's Port of Entry producer Kinsey Moreland. 
So John Fanistel is an easy dude to spot. Come on over here a bit. We'll do a little bit of organizing and, and then we'll get ready to, uh, to march. Typically, he is one of the tallest guys in a crowd. Plus, he's got a penchant for wearing a huge straw sun hat. No rush, but when, when it, what I'm going to do is we're going to get organized, and then we'll break into two groups, those who want to drive in and those who want to walk in. Okay. If at that time you were On a Sunday morning back in June, a crowd of a few dozen people circled around John in a dirt parking lot outside the entrance to Borderfield State Park. That's the California State Park that butts right up against the U.S.-Mexico border fence. And John is doing his thing. He's greeting folks, making them feel comfortable, and then immediately getting down to business. Thanks so much for coming out. Really appreciate your being here. Bienvenidos a todos. Uh, vamos en inglés o en los dos? Algunos prefieren español? O todos estamos contentos hablar en inglés? In Arabic. We'll go in English, and if you have questions, please don't hesitate to ask. All kinds of people were there in that dusty parking lot that day. Activists, professors, church folks, even a few families with young kids in strollers, and a gentleman who just celebrated his 80th birthday. Let me give you a white shirt. Yeah, give me a shirt, please. Everyone there was wearing white because they were asked to, partly to symbolize peace and partly to just make themselves stand out. Yeah, it's a white shirt. So don't rub too much ketchup on me. <laughs> so California's Borderfield State Park is, of course, run by state park people. But because the international border is right here, there's federal property in the park, too. The federal government actually took some of the land from the state of California by eminent domain back in 2006. And things have changed a lot since then. I actually have a picture of myself with my then-boyfriend, now-husband, on the Mexican side of Friendship Park back in 2008. We were sort of poking our heads through the huge gaps in the single fence that stood on the beach back then. I remember a bunch of kids there that day running through the wide slots in the border fence that literally dips and then disappears into the Pacific Ocean. The kids were laughing as they casually crossed back and forth between the U.S. and Mexico. And families were there that day, too, having reunions through the fence. It's a common scene here since there are all kinds of reasons people in Mexico can't cross north to see their families or vice versa. But in the years that followed, the federal government just completely transformed Friendship Park. They built a 15-foot secondary wall, a watchtower, and added lots of other security measures. So now what was once this pretty open and accessible state park is a militarized zone controlled by the U.S. Border Patrol. So when you get out there, if you first time you see these big double walls, those have only been there 12 or 13 years. That's not the way it was designed. That's not what it's supposed to look like. That's just the, the lay of the land at the moment. So after the park was transformed into this militarized zone, John and a coalition of border activists who came to be known as the Friends of Friendship Park started working to get the land to look and feel a lot, well, friendlier again. And because of their activism, Border Patrol did eventually agree to opening a gate and letting people inside the two border fences. 
Specifically, they said they'd open the gate every Saturday and Sunday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. That allows people from the United States to enter in between the walls, get up against the primary wall, which is the wall covered with that thick metal mesh, and that's where, where people are able to meet up with friends and loved ones. We know because Border Patrol counted one year uh, 2,300 family reunions, about 40 or 50 a weekend. If there were greater access, that number would explode. Okay, so I want to take a few minutes to tell you a little bit about those thousands of people who use this place to meet up. There is a common misunderstanding that most of them are undocumented, but that is simply not the case. I would venture to say 95 or higher uh, percent of the folks who come visiting on the U.S. side are not undocumented. We get a lot of inquiries from people who are undocumented. We tell them, you know, es mucho riesgo. There's a great risk because the place is, you know, surrounded by Border Patrol. It's one of the most heavily surveilled parts of the country. So the vast, vast majority of people who come to visit with their family on the U.S. side are not undocumented, but they have some status in the United States. But they have a status in the United States that prevents them from leaving the country. Statuses that prevent folks from leaving the country include things like DACA or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. DACA recipients are the folks brought over as kids who've been allowed to stay and work in the U.S. but haven't been given full citizenship rights. Another status that prevents international travel is those who have immigration cases pending in courts, or sometimes it's folks who have a green card or a visa or even full citizenship, but maybe they're on parole and not allowed to leave the country for a while. There are just a lot of people who have legal residence in the United States, and if their family members in Mexico can't get a visa to come to the U.S., then Friendship Park becomes the only place in the world that they can see their loved ones. Hi, my name is Selene. So um, about close to 11 years ago, my younger sister was deported. And this is the only place that I can come and um, get to see her. Selene Gutierrez was one of a handful of people who got up to talk to the crowd of protesters before the hike out to Friendship Park began that day back in June. And um, so it's very important to me and very special that you guys are all here. Um, I'm a DACA recipient myself, and um, this is the only way that um, I can see my sister, her now husband, and uh, my, my new nephew. So um, it's very important to me to be here and represent not only myself, but a large community of people that get to be with their family members even for a few hours in this area. So thank you so much, and I really appreciate it. Will you join me with that? So, the hike out to Friendship Park from the entrance of Borderfield State Park is about 1.8 miles. I use the long walk to run back and forth between the front and the back of the line of hikers, talking to folks about why they were there. We're, we're going out to protest Border Patrol's continued closure of Friendship Park. This is Jim Brown. He's an architect in San Diego who's actually been part of the Friends of Friendship Park Coalition for years. He's also the guy behind a proposed new design for Friendship Park. The park design and plan was just released to the public by the Friends of Friendship Park group this week. And uh, it will be an 80-acre park. Our belief is that the best security that we can have between na uh, nations is friendship. 
And a binational park built on this site right now would remind the ordinary citizens of the United States and Mexico that indeed we are friends. Because there's so much rhetoric in the print media and on, in the internet that, you know, the ordinary person starts to wonder. And we all know that's not true. So Jim has been designing different possible iterations of the park since way back in 2009. He knows the latest redesign, which would remove both the border fences at Friendship Park and essentially open the border here, is a real long shot, at least in the short term. But he says he feels like the idea is a good first step, like an important start of something, something he probably won't actually see built in his own lifetime, but maybe something his daughter could. A lot of people ask me, like, how are you going to raise the money? Like, how are you going to get the approvals? That's not what we're doing. We're creating a vision that hopefully enough people will see locally, enough people, will, enough local politicians will notice and, you know, mention up the chain. It's, this, this is a decision that needs to be made in Washington, of course. Speaking of Washington and the federal government, I did reach out to the U.S. Border Patrol on this 50th anniversary of the park. And a spokesman for the San Diego sector gave me a written statement about why Friendship Circle is still closed. In part, it said, quote, A large portion of our workforce has been allocated to the care and processing of the influx of undocumented migrants that are entering our country illegally. That influx, he said, has left Border Patrol with not enough agents to be on site to open the gates to Friendship Circle. Jim, though, he does not buy it. We've had a lot of negotiations with Border Patrol over the years, enough to know that um, with, an, with enough people like today we see here, 40 to 50 some odd people and more growing every day, they're going to open up Friendship Park and they're going to do it soon. Their excuse of not having the manpower is complete nonsense. They have the money, they have the manpower. We just got to point that out to them and make them do it, live up to their responsibilities. They, they use everything under the sun as an excuse. Uh, you know, we, we, we have been negotiating with them in good faith for all these years, for over 10 years. And well, we're not going let, to let them get away with it. This is too important of a meeting place. It needs to be open immediately. <laughs> So the protesters and I hiked on, and I kept asking people about why they were out spending their Sunday morning protesting to reopen Friendship Circle. Can I ask you who you are and why you're here today? Maggie Baker, and I care about this region. I care about people who can't see each other. And um, yeah, I have a history here. I have like a love affair with the border region. I'm Penny Moreau. This is my husband, Mike. Hi. Hi. We really support the effort to open Friendship Park. We've been part of this vision for many, many years. Hi, I'm Cristela Garcia-Spitz, and I'm here to represent those that can't be here. It's had a big impact on me just to see the types of um, reunions that get to happen, the types of celebrations that get to happen in the park. My name is Rachel Myers and I'm here to support the opening of the park because it is so important for families and friends to be able to see one another. Throughout the pandemic my daughter has been in Canada and we've been unable to cross the border. It's the longest I've been without seeing her which definitely gives me a lot even more empathy for folks here. 
My name is Taha Hassan. I'm the Imam and Director of the Islamic Center of San Diego. I'm here standing in solidarity with all my fellow faith leaders, brothers and sisters, to demand the opening of the Friendship Park. We are, and our faith teaches us about the importance of the unity of the families, bringing people together. What's going on now is totally the opposite. We would like to uh, the Friendship Park to be open and to allow families from both sides to come together, see each other, and share that love. So we're right, just got to the beach. We're looking south. At the end of the nearly two mile hike, the narrow path suddenly opened to the stunning view of a pristine, empty beach. We're still about a mile and a quarter from the border wall and a beautiful day. So it's just beautiful, I mean, beautiful, beautiful. The group of protesters then prepared to march in silence in a single file line that would head south on the beach toward the border fence. And our friends on the Mexican side are getting themselves organized. They'll be marching north at the same time. We're gonna to try to synchronize as much as we can. Synchronizing things in the United States of Mexico is what I would call a high degree of difficulty kind of act. And so we should be ready in about 15 minutes to begin the procession. Does that sound good? Okay, and I will ping you on the WhatsApp group, okay? The protesters marched quietly through the sand. And at the end of the march, just a few yards from the secondary border fence, a photographer snapped a photo of each protester. The photos are part of the Friends of Friendship Park's ongoing effort to document everything significant that happens at the park. And no one said anything. So for about 15 minutes or so, the only sound on that beach was the waves crashing against the shore. Eventually, the silence was broken by loud cheers from protesters on both sides of the border. Robert, can you hear me through the sound system? After the march, John and his counterpart Robert Vivar, who was running the action on the Mexican side of the border fence, they didn't waste any time in getting the day's border church service up and running. So we've set up communion on both sides of the border. We've been doing this since every Sunday since November of 2011. So this is uh, my kids' grape juice here. A couple of tortillas. And uh, when they are blessed, we'll count them as gifts from God. And our friends on the Mexican side are doing the same. With tortillas and grape juice? Uh, they, might have, they might have something a little more tasty. And they're, and they're eating a meal afterwards. A hundred yes. people are getting fed over there. So someday we hope to join that meal. So yeah, we kind of say we're trying to turn the, turn the wall into the table of the Lord in some mysterious way. Gathering around a table. That's what we're doing. Come on closer, folks, if you'd like to just... Uh, we'll start in with the reading and the prayers. 
the voices of many have been kept silent. The voices of the borderlands are rarely heard. After a quick break, Kinsey crosses the border and talks to someone with a personal connection and long relationship with Friendship Park. Regresamos en unos momentos. Tell us what the border is like. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another has it. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. Y estamos de vuelta. So, COVID and the lockdowns. The whole experience made Kinsey think about Friendship Park in a different way. She says being separated from her own family for months and months during the 2020 lockdowns, it made her better understand just how essentially important in-person meetups really are. Now that, you know, people have been separated from their family because of COVID, it kind of makes me think that maybe people will be more empathetic of like, no, actually a phone call or even a Zoom call is not a replacement for in-person meetings. Absolutely. I think that people can uh, be more empathetic now that they faced for over a year that family separation also. For example, I'm a grandparent and I can't see my grandkids because they're, they're in the U.S. and they're growing up with, without me, you know. So I can imagine what grandparents uh, are going through, having to go through a whole year without being able to hug their grandkids. You know, grandkids are are a gift of God to our grandparents. And, and for you as a grandparent to be denied that gift of, of hugging your grandkids, of spending time with your grandkids, it's, uh, it's just, it's disastrous. So this is Robert Vivar, the guy who was running the protest in Border Church on the Tijuana side of the border during that Friendship Park protest back in June. He helps out in part because he has actually used the park in the past to see those grandkids of his. A few weeks after the silent march, I crossed into Mexico and met up with Robert at his office. He told me about how he ended up in a situation where he can't cross the border to see his own family. And the story actually starts with where he was born, here in Tijuana. And quick aside, his birth in the border town is actually one of his little claims to fame because... I was the first kid that was born in an ambulance. Really? Yes. In the entire city? Yes, oh. uh, on the Red, on the, uh, Red Cross, on the ambulance. Oh, uh, that's cool. Right in front of the Sombrero restaurant. 
Six years after his birth, Robert's family crossed the border. We went legally, we're getting green cards. And I remember very clearly hopping on the Greyhound bus and sitting next to my dad. Robert and his family ended up in Corona, California. That's a city southeast of Los Angeles. And Robert eventually graduated high school, then moved to L.A. and got a job at the airport. He got married, had kids. Essentially, he achieved that elusive American dream. But then Robert started doing drugs, just casually on the weekends with friends at first. But the drugs eventually took over his life. He ended up getting arrested for petty theft, but he says a public defender convinced him to plead guilty to possession of drugs with the intent to manufacture. The hope was that the charge would get him sent to drug rehab where he could get free help kicking his addiction. But what Robert didn't know was that the charge came with mandatory deportation for people like him, people with green cards. So in 2003, Robert found himself on a bus headed back to his hometown of Tijuana. And being forced to leave his family and return to a country he left when he was just a kid, it was a culture shock to say the least. He says he felt really depressed and didn't know what to do. I was one of the fortunate ones that had family here. A kind of distant, an aunt and a, and a cousin. So I had a place to go, fortunately. Oh, yeah. And when I got to my aunt's house, uh, my mom's sister, um, she saw that I was, I was devastated. And uh, she looks at me and says, you're gonna be okay, don't worry. God's here in Mexico also. And that, you know, that stuck to me pretty good. It's like, yeah, that's right. He's here in TJ also, not only in the U.S. Robert tried to make the best of a bad situation, but he says he just could not find a job. Meanwhile, his wife was having some major health issues, so he says he did what he felt he had to do to take care of his family. So three months later, I went back undocumented. And, you know, uh, I never touched uh, drugs again, uh, alcohol, uh, just dedicated myself to working, taking care of my family. And one day, um, I was at work early in the morning, and ICE came knocking on my door, uh, portraying to be LAPD, indicating that uh, somebody was using my identity and was a real dangerous criminal. They wanted to show me the picture, so if I had seen them around the neighborhood, I could point them out, and they could remove them from, uh, from the uh, neighborhood. Well. It wasn't, you know, somebody else. Who they were looking for was, uh, was for me. So in 2013, Robert got deported again. This time he decided to stay and fight for his return to the U.S. in the courts. And in the meantime, Robert has actually become one of the most active and well-known immigration advocates in Tijuana. He runs a nonprofit that advocates for deported military vets and works with other nonprofits on both sides of the border. I needed to occupy my mind on something instead of the anxiety and desperation of being deported. Uh, I came across uh, an office that was just opening up with deported veterans. I walked in and uh, started getting involved uh, and came to find out that the more I got involved helping not only deported veterans, but other deportees like myself. And the only way that I could, you know, find that fulfillment 
uh, was through the work with helping deported veterans and uh, deportees and you know deported moms and things like that. These days, Robert is also really busy helping with the hundreds of asylum seekers currently stuck in a refugee camp in Tijuana. The camp is actually right down the street from his office. Look out my my front door. It's kind of quiet, a few cars rolling by. But if you uh, walk to my right, it looks like maybe about 50, 60 yards. All of a sudden, uh, you'll find a... Uh, it's very difficult to describe because of the amount of uh, desperation that you see. A lot of tents, a lot of makeshift tents, people sleeping on uh, pieces of cardboard that have not been able to, uh, to secure tents, tents with um, rags on top of them, makeshift uh, canopies. Robert is a popular guy in the migrant camp because he's basically helping out as many people as he can. And meanwhile, he's still fighting his own deportation case. He shared some big news about a recent win of his. As a matter of fact, uh, things are going very well for me. I recently won a decision in the California Supreme Court where my uh, charge was uh, vacated and uh, the uh, appellate court and superior court in Riverside were instructed uh, to reverse the decision and vacate the charge, which has now been uh, vacated and the, the case dismissed. And my attorneys are filing with the uh, Board of Immigration Appeals to reopen my immigration case and request, request to have my uh, removal uh, vacated also. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. So maybe soon, Robert will be able to see those grandkids of his in person again. But he says that even when he is allowed back into the U.S., he will continue his advocacy work back here in Tijuana. There's a lot of work to be done, and it's going to be very helpful to be able to go back and forth uh, to continue that work. Uh, you know, our uh, slogan for our organization is Leave No One Behind, which is a Marine motto. And uh, we plan on, on living it and continue it. So Robert is a big part of what keeps Border Church going on the Tijuana side of the fence. And he is working with John and the rest of the Friends of Friendship Park to push to get the park fully reopened by Border Patrol as soon as possible. He says the place's importance goes well beyond just giving separated families the chance to pinky kiss. We still have families uh, showing up, not as many, of course, as before. And that's part of um, the reason why we're being very active on both sides. You know, it's a shame we hear so many families that so many migrants that are perishing, people that have been trying to enter the U.S. through uh, the Pacific Ocean out here, through the uh, through the mountains, and you know they take their life, uh, they put their life in danger trying to get to reach their family. And we know for a fact that when Friendship Park was open, uh, this would serve as an opportunity for families to be able to come together through that border wall and bring them hope 
uh, to continue to wait and, and have patience and, and fight for a way to be able to be reunited, but the legal way. And taking that uh, away from them, uh, we can understand that's uh, a reason why many of them get desperate and take that perilous journey of trying to reach their family. in 2016, Robert got to experience the power of Friendship Park himself. That day, Border Patrol actually opened up the gates on both of the border fences, and he and others were allowed to physically embrace their family and friends on the other side. Robert says he wants other people like him to get that chance too. A couple of years after I got deported, uh, I was able to, uh, to see my, uh, my grandkids, two of my granddaughters and my grandson through the border wall. Um, I was able to hug my son and my two granddaughters uh, when they opened the, uh, the gate. You know, that day that uh, the gate opened and I was able to hug my granddaughters and my son, uh, I felt like my heart was going to burst right out of my chest and followed by an incredible uh, burst of energy. And somehow I got a, a very strong message from my creator, from God, that um, to keep fighting, keep fighting. And one day I would return legally to, to the United States with my family. So lots of super fun events like art shows, concerts, and more are happening this week in celebration of the 50th anniversary of Friendship Park. For the full schedule, check out friendshippark50.org. That's friendshippark50.org. The big event is at Friendship Park on August 22nd. The San Diego mayor will be there alongside other community leaders on both sides of the border. Port of Entry is hosted by Alan Lilienthal. This episode was written and produced by me, Kinsey Moreland. Emily Jankowski is the co-producer and director of sound design. Alisa Barba is our editor. Lisa Morissette is operations manager. And John Decker is the interim associate general manager of content. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Thanks for listening.